Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. I'm looking for my sermon, actually. There it is. If you have an airplane and the airplane does not fly, what do you have? If you have a, a car and the car really doesn't work, what do you have? You know, if you're in an airplane and the airplane doesn't work and, and you're in it, what's going to happen? It's going to crash. It's going to fall. If an airplane doesn't move, then basically it's like a rock and it's going to crash down to the ground. If you're in a car and it doesn't move, what can you do with the car? I mean, perhaps you can have an old airplane and it's an antique. You can have an old car and it's an antique and maybe they don't work anymore. But normally, if you have a car that doesn't work, you say it's broken. If you have a cheetah and a cheetah doesn't run, like cheetahs are supposed to run super fast, one of the fastest, it's not the fastest land animal in the world. And if it doesn't run, if it doesn't run fast, what would you say? You would say it's broken. It's not doing well. It's, it's hurt. It's very similar to faith. If faith is not moving, if faith is not going forward, then you would say that faith has something that could be potentially wrong with it. Either it's a sick faith, or it could be a false faith, a dead faith, an untrue faith. And this is what we have in the book of Hebrews, because it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, talking about the old Israelites, that they didn't enter the promised land because of their what? Their unbelief. Here in chapter 10, verse 9, it says, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. That is, true believers, Hebrews 10.39, are those that have faith that continues to press forward even through difficult times. And so we've said that the main theme of chapter 10, verses really 32 to verse 40 of chapter 11, is faithfully press forward by faith. Because if you don't, then you could fall away and desert Christ. That the proof of your faith is persevering, especially during difficult times. If there's not a pressing forward in Christ, not necessarily a perfect pressing forward, but if there's not a persevering of pressing forward in Christ, then that faith could be a false faith. And so we've said that there are at least three means in, in this big passage before us. Again, Hebrews 10, 32 to 11, verse 40, that there's these three means to press forward in faith. And first of all, it was understand the best is yet to come, which will be repeated throughout this whole section. And then the second means is refuse to lose confidence in the gospel. Don't place confidence in yourself, but 
have confidence in the gospel. And then third, we've said, exercise your faith. And that's really what this whole chapter 11 is about. Briefly, what is faith? The definition of faith we've seen. And then the depiction of faith is where we're at now. And this whole section is using different heroes of the faith to depict what pressing forward in difficult times means and and looks like. Now, we've already said this, that believe to understand, believe to get right with God, believe to please God, believe to obey. And then this morning, number five, believe to go forward. And we'll see this in verses 8 all the way to verse 22. If you look at verse 8, it says, by faith, Abraham. If you look at verse 22, by faith, Joseph when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. This little section inside of chapter 11 of Hebrews is dealing with the patriarchs and about their faith and what that looked like. Now, if you look at verse 8, it says Abraham obeyed. And if you look at verse 22, it says by faith Joseph when he was dying, talked about his bones, take my bones back to Israel, because at this time he was in in Egypt. So why do I say believe to go forward? Because if you look at verse 8, Abraham was where? He was basically in an area, I believe, that would have been in Iraq today. Abraham was not Jewish, right? We understand Abraham was not a Jew. (laughs) He's the father of the Jew, but he believed he wasn't Jewish. He was from the area of Mesopotamia, of Iraq. But he listened to God, he obeyed God, and ventured to the land of Canaan. And then verse 9, by faith he lived in that land. Verse 11, Sarah herself, though she was advanced in age, by faith he was able to get pregnant and bear a child. Verse 13, all these died in faith. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed the sons of Joseph. And then we come again to verse 22, where Joseph said, take my bones, because now Joseph was in Egypt, take my bones back to Israel. So you see, through Abraham, through Sarah, And even though Sarah laughed when God said that you would be with child, and even though Abraham had many imperfections, as did, of course, Jacob, all of these men and this woman were persevering and pressing forward in faith and the promises that God had given in Genesis chapter 3. And so this is what verses 8 through 22 is teaching us that the main point in this section is this faith believes God, not just to sit and, and be still. Certainly faith, there's an element of faith where it waits patiently for God, but there is this pressing forward, taking steps of action inside of God's promises. This is what faith does. Now, first, then, we're going to look at Abraham this morning, and then in the future, we'll look at at the others. But first, let's look at Abraham in verses 8 and 9. 
Abraham started and continued to live by faith, energized by gazing at heaven. And you can see this. Verse 8 says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Verse 9, by faith, he lived. And then verse 10 gives the reason, the, the how, because he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was looking beyond just the land of Canaan. He was looking somewhere else. Now, as we consider verse 8, starting for God is always by faith. Starting for God is always by faith. And you can see right here in verse 8, like we've seen at other times, Faith is, again, emphasized. It's stressed. It's put forward. Because any type of project for God, any type of mission for God, must be by faith. Whether it's salvation, asking the Lord to save you from your sin, whether it's seeking to get married, seeking to have a a job or, or raise kids, to do anything in a Christian life, it must be, as it says here in verse 8, by faith. What, what is faith? Well, we said, if you would look back at verse 1, faith is being gripped and also gripping God's narrative for you in Christ. Or you can say it in a different way. Faith is, as it says in Psalms over and over again, taking refuge in the Lord, taking refuge in God. Or you can say it in a way that I like to say it. Faith is acknowledging, acquiescing, and adoring all that God is for you in Christ. This is faith. Now, when you look at verse 8, this this faith and the Word always works together. The faith and the Word of God always works together. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. And again, not only here is faith stressed in the Greek text, but even when he was called is also very emphatic. It's saying, this text is in verse 8, that there is a synergistic effect of faith being motivated by the Word of God. Abraham went out in faith and obeyed because there was this effect of him hearing God's word. God spoke to him, and Abraham was saved and went forth. Remember, Abraham, his family, maybe you can remember back to Genesis chapter, end of chapter 11, beginning of chapter 12. Abraham most likely came from not just a family of pagans, but from a family of pagans that offered child sacrifices to the moon god, most likely. And God saved Abraham and spoke to Abraham. And that hearing of God's word had this deep salvific effect of regeneration in his life, which moved him into obedience. And this is what the word of God does. You're familiar with Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. We respond to Christ, we respond to his word by faith, by this taking refuge in him, taking refuge in it. 
So we need to learn to trust it and to do it by always seeking this. Lord, give me the faith to believe what you are saying. Look back at verse 8. And though it doesn't elaborate here, by faith Abraham, when he was called, there's basically a, a paragraph, maybe three or four sentences that God said to Abraham. And just on that little bit of revelation, Abraham placed his faith, his refuge. So we seek to learn and to trust the word of God. And we could even say it, it wasn't that Abraham had faith in faith or had faith in, in, in his heart. He had faith in that external word that God gave to him. This is starting by faith. But further, we would say even that faith is a, a means to obedience. It starts, faith ignites our obedience. We can even say more clearly, faith is the means or at least works in us that persuades us to pursue obedience. Faith is the fuel to cause us to to really go forward for him. It's really the air that we breathe here Again, by faith, that's really modifying where it says obeyed. Abraham, when he was called obeyed, you you could say by faith. Abraham obeyed by faith when he was called. The means of his obedience was he heard God. Abraham, this is what I want you to do. And Abraham said, Lord, I I can't do it in my own strength. By you, I I can do it. You are my shield and my fender. There's nothing too difficult for for you. I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to go. And so this is how he sought to obey God. Now, why is this here? Why is this being brought up? Just like this whole list is. This book, again, is written to believers that came out of a Jewish Hebrew background. And, of course, Abraham is the father of faith. You know, very, very important, right? Uh, Noah and, and Abel and Enoch, they all had positions of esteem and, and Judaism, but not to the, to the degree that Abraham, of course, would have had. But the reason why Abraham is brought out, if you look at verse 8, verse 8 is not saying by sacrifices, by religious dedication. Abraham obeyed God and became the the patriarch of the faith of Judaism. It says it's by faith. Or in our day and age, I think we could say it this way. For, for these Hebrew believers, they're being confronted with the idea that it's not by necessarily going back to an outdated, uh, no longer theologically valid Old Testament system, which is going to save you, but by faith in Christ. And Abraham did not have this elaborate Judaistic system of religious works that saved him, it was by faith, which really ignited his obedience. And it saved him and gave him what he needed to obey God. We could say it it this way. It's not, though it 
you should get baptized. Baptism doesn't save you or necessarily give you what you need as a believer to live the Christian life, right? Many people are, that profess Christ have been baptized, and some of those don't even know the Lord. You can be baptized and not have faith. But if you do have faith in Christ, you are going to go forward. You could not drink. You could not drink alcohol. And you could think to yourself, I'm really a good person because I'm not drinking alcohol. Alcohol does not touch my lips. But that doesn't mean you're a Christian. And that doesn't even mean your faith is true. These are types of religious works. You can memorize the whole Bible. That's not necessarily a work of faith necessarily. For example, did the Pharisees have large sections of the Old Testament memorized? Yes. Were they saved? No. They weren't saved. Maybe you are Republican and Reformed. That doesn't mean that you have true faith. It doesn't. If you have faith, that will be demonstrated not by necessarily being a Republican or even Reformed. Necessarily. Doing homeschool doesn't mean that you necessarily have faith. That's not necessarily a work of faith. I'm talking about here in verse 8 where it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called obeyed. It's not that God is telling these Hebrew believers to go back to the land of Israel, but he's saying by faith they obeyed, Abraham obeyed God and didn't shrink back and went forward. You too need to not shrink back, but to go forward and you do that by faith. That's demonstrated not necessarily by you going back to Israel, but by having faith that works. What would that look like? Well, for me, and I think for all of us, that would be First Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality. My kids and I are trying to memorize one verse from each New Testament book in the Bible. So we just did Second Thessalonians 3.5. And so that's why First Thessalonians 4.3 came into my mind. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 talks about the work of faith. Faith does work, and it will show up. And For example, in Ephesians, it talks about our speech patterns, and it talks about forgiveness. It talks about patience. Obeying God for you and I as believers is not going back to Israel. It's not by offering up a type of necessarily sacrificial work but it's being more and more like Christ. And we do that by faith. That is, we take refuge in Christ. We're looking to Christ for salvation and for the strength to go forward. We trust in what God has said and what he has said in Christ. But further, also this faith expects a payoff. This faith expects a payoff. Look at verse 8 again. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he he obeyed. By going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. He went out trusting God 
knowing that God was good and that God was going to be generous and that God was going to give him something. Here it talks about this inheritance, going out to a place which he was to receive something for inheritance. He was to be given something that actually he himself at this time did not own. And inheritance usually implies some type of riches. Something that is not yours is going to be given to you. We saw this in verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. God will be rich and generous toward us when we place him first and place our hope and our trust in him above all else. This motivated Abraham. Lord, I will trust you and and I trust that as I make my investment in you, you will be generous and good. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Though I don't necessarily like to quote this, because it can be quoted too often, I think. I will quote it. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Abraham gave up family and home and went to a foreign, strange land and lived in a tent and died without necessarily receiving all that was to be part of that promise. He did not receive that at that moment. He was looking for something even greater. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Faith is not greedy in a sense of, Lord, you had better give me something. No, it's, it's not like that. Faith is, Lord, I take refuge in you. I, I trust in you. And I know that if I seek you first, your word says that you'll meet all my needs until it's time for me to go to be with Jesus. All that I need, you will provide for me. Thank you, Lord. That kind of faith. Further, still looking at verse 8, faith accepts that there's much that is unseen. We're seeing that faith through Abraham here is pictured as Faith starts your Christian life and faith helps you to keep going in your Christian life as you are gazing on the treasure that you have in heaven and Christ forever. And here then, faith accepts there is much that is unseen. Look back at verse 8. God speaks to Abraham. Abraham has this faith. He trusts God. He goes out. But look what it says. He wasn't knowing where he was going. Well, it's, it's kind of odd because if you think about it, God just told him wh- where he was going. He said, basically, go west. Go to the land of Canaan. So, what is this specifically saying? Did Abraham never have heard of the, the word of the land of Canaan? Well, probably had heard of the land of Canaan. Maybe he had a little map that somebody drew for him. It's not knowing, it's not saying that Abraham had no knowledge at all about the land of Canaan. It's the idea that he had no experience 
no experiential knowledge about the land of Canaan. For example, if somebody said, Tom, do you know Alaska? I can tell you many things about Alaska. I can. I have friends that live in Alaska. David Nablin lives in Alaska. You know, um, the music group, This Hope, they're basically from Alaska. Great place to hunt, great place to ski. Probably dark right now, almost 24 hours a day right now there in Alaska. But have I ever been to Alaska? No. Do I know it like David Namnit and Brendan Bruce? No. I have no idea about actually living in Alaska. I, I don't have that experience. So I, I could fantasize about it. Man, there's grizzly bears there. There's moose that's there. You know, Second Amendment really reigns there. Man, I'm going to Alaska. I love Alaska. Call the wild. I'm going to be a hunter. And then I go to Alaska, and it's super cold in Alaska. <laughs> like, I got to get out of here. Well, I didn't really know Alaska. This is the same sense in which Abraham, certainly he had heard something about the land of Canaan, but he had never been there or lived in it, experienced it ever before. It was, in a sense, something that he had never personally seen before. But yet, he takes a step of faith. There is a type of, at least humanly speaking, a type of, of risk Seemingly, with faith, you step out not knowing where he was going. And this word knowing here, we get our English word, from the Latin word, from the Greek word, epistemology. The study of, of how to know, why we know. That's where this unknowing. He did not have this experiential knowledge, authoritative knowledge of Canaan. You know, when I went to India... I took three trips, usually uh, three trips before I went to India to live there. And each time, I think I stayed there for two months. So before I went to India as a missionary, I really had experienced India. And I really knew India pretty well. Lisa, on the other hand, I think only went one time for like a week. (laughs) And then followed me back to India. There is this... We see in Abraham here this idea that he did not necessarily take this exposure trip. There was an element of unknown to him. And in faith, at times, even when we do something where we don't know the end result necessarily, we still take that step of faith. Trust the Lord of all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and he will direct your paths. This is always part of faith. We don't know the exact future. But we trust the Lord and we seek to do what his word says. Again, I'm not saying that like God right now is working in your heart. Maybe uh, if she doesn't mind, I'll use my wife as an example. You know, I think she's 45. And so maybe she feels in her heart the Lord is saying to her right now that we should have another child. Okay? That, I would suggest and assert, is not necessarily what this passage is saying. That is, that Lisa and I said, step out in faith and have one more child because we have this desire in our hearts. And that's God speaking to us. It's the word of God in my heart. No, 
This is not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying that when God objectively, externally speaks to you, like for Abraham, it was external and it was objective. It wasn't just something in his heart. For you and I, it would be based upon the written external word of God. When God speaks his word to us, then based upon that, we seek to obey God. So that that could be serving. We know the Lord wants us to serve. It, it could be forgiving. It could be seeking to not be malicious, uh, to, to to give up getting getting revenge, placing God first in all things, whatever it might be. My mind usually goes through Colossians chapter three and Ephesians chapter four. Whatever it is that God wants you to do, there are times where you might want to forgive somebody, but if you forgive somebody, what are you doing? You're letting that person off the hook. And if you let them off the hook, what's going to happen? You're not going to get justice. Well, there is this faith that says, I'm going to trust God to get justice, either on the cross or in hell, and God's forgiven me. So even if it, even if this person keeps doing these things or there's no necessarily justice that I see, I'm going to trust God and take a step into the unknown and I forgive. Oh, you see, to love somebody that, that's unloving, maybe they will never love you back, ever. Well, it's unknown. You can't see the end result of that. You share the gospel with somebody. There are people that you share the gospel with. And oftentimes, most of the times, what do they say? Do, do, do they fall down on their knees and say, Lord, save me. Though I was blind, now I see. Is that what happens most of the time? Most of the time they say what? No. No, thank you. There is this part of faith, though, that says... I'm going to believe in that God has a plan, he has a purpose, and even if I don't see the end result, I'm going to trust him anyways and not lean on my own experience of it. So this is how faith starts, but already you can see, already you can see this is also how faith continues. Now, verse 9, faith does this continuing by faith, you can see it clearly. By faith, he lived as an alien. He goes out by faith. But now he's living in this land as an alien. And then again in verse 9, it says, as in a foreign land. He has this state of mind, this already but not yet mindset. He's there, but it's still a little bit foreign to him. He's in the land, but he's not actually possessing the land. You can see that with dwelling in tents. And he lived there as an alien. You know, it's very much in the political theater today, and I'm not making a political interpretation or platitude, but today, you know, foreigners coming, illegal aliens being into our country is a big thing. I'm not making a political statement about it. But Abraham was a foreigner. He was an alien. He came in to the land of Canaan, and he had problems with different 
populist groups that were in the land of Canaan. It was difficult for him because he did not have an actual part of the land that was his until later in life. And even then, it was a small part of the promise of God that God had said he would have. It was only a small part of it, not a large part of it. So there was a sense in which always he had this alien type of mindset. When I was in, in uh, India, I used to sing, Pardesi, Pardesi, Jananihi. That's foreigner, foreigner. Um, I, I think I, I don't want to go, something like that. Pardesi, Pardesi means foreigner. It, it was a movie. And even when I came back to America, after I had lived in India, maybe for the first, I don't know, three or four months, I felt like a Pardeshi. I'd be walking down the streets in the neighborhood here in the U.S. going, Pardeshi, Pardeshi, Jananihi. So whether I was in the U.S. or whether I was in India, I felt like a foreigner, like a Pardeshi. That means foreigner. And this passage is telling these Hebrews, when you're ostracized, when people don't like you, when they ignore you, or they don't ignore you, they throw you in prison, or they throw your loved ones in prisons, and they take your possessions. It's a true sense. Like Abraham, you are a foreigner, an alien. This is not your ultimate home. Ultimately, genealogically, politically, even in a sense, nationally, is not the actual roots and substance and final destination of your identity, but rather it's in Christ and in heaven. Remember, for these Hebrews, their Jewish identity would have been very, very important to them, especially perhaps in this situation when Rome was ruling. But here... The Spirit of God is saying to them, like Abraham, his identity was in the Lord. It was in Yahweh. Your identity is in the Lord. Back to Hebrews chapter 1. It's in the Lord, the God who created all things. It's in Christ. And having this attitude of not home yet people. We have this state of mind of already, but but not yet. You know, I'm experiencing the promise, but it's not the full promise of God is not fully yet something that I'm fully experiencing because in a true sense, I don't belong here. In, in a true sense, that my identity is somewhere else. Another way to look at that is a not home yet people. You can look here because it says, as in a foreign land, Dwelling in tents. Why bring this up? Why bring this up to these Hebrew Christians? Some who are going to prison. Some that have had their possessions robbed. Because he's encouraging them that even Abraham, though God blessed him with riches, he lived in a tent. So the, humanly speaking, the starter of the Jewish nation, his home was a tent. He was a type of nomad. A type of nomad. And his ultimate treasure was Yahweh himself. And such it should be for these believers. And even when we think of of Ron, and we've said this before, I've said this with my father-in-law and with Vijay, the the very best that 
that Ron could have had here on this earth would have been merely camping out compared to what he has in heaven now with Christ. And I think this is basically what's being communicated here by the Spirit of God to these Hebrew Christians. And it reminded me of a song. I think I have time to read it. It goes, To all the travelers, pilgrims longing for a home, from one who walks with you on this journey called life's road. It's a long and winding road. From one who's seen the view and dreamt of staying on the mountains high, and one who's cried like you, wanting so much just to lay down and die. I offer this. We must remember this. We are not home yet. We are not home yet. Keep on looking ahead. Let your heart not forget. We are not home yet. So close your eyes with me and hear the Father singing, Welcome home. Let us find the strength and all his promises to carry on. He said, I'll go prepare a place for you, so let us not forget. I know there'll be a moment, I know there'll be a place when we will see our Savior and fall in his embrace, so let us not grow weary or too content to stay because we're not home yet. We are not home yet. That's by Stephen Curtis Chapman. We are a not-yet-home people, and if we have that kind of mindset, that helps us to live by faith in a world where there is great difficulties. This is not our home. The, the best home on this earth that you could ever have will absolutely pale in comparison to the home that Jesus has and is making for you. John 14. Another way to look at ourselves, we've said having this mindset of already but not yet, also having this mindset of not yet home people, but even this mindset is that you are part of something that is absolutely huge. You are part of hugeness, of bigness, of something that is absolutely incredible. Look back at verse 9. He lived in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac, Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Abraham saw some of the promises of God fulfilled and the fact that he had children and his children had children. And these children, it talks about in verse 12, as the stars of heaven in number, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. That is, that the descendants of Abraham would be numerous than the sands of the seashore. And by that, he's not simply talking about those that are Jewish, but all the Gentiles that have come to know Christ. And that will one day reign with Christ. It says that throughout Scripture, that those that know Christ and that know the Lord will experience the glories of heaven. It says in Hebrews 2.10, And it says in Revelation and and other places in Scripture that believers will reign with Christ and that there'll be a great multitude, billions of us in heaven worshiping the Lord together, enjoying sweet, perfect fellowship. This is part of, in verse 9, and also in verse 8 where it says inheritance, verse 9 where it says heirs of the same promise. That promise is the promise that we will see God and be with Christ face to face, enjoy Him forever, free from the curse in a land of 
perfect light and love forever and forever and forever and forever reigning with him. That's ultimately the promise that this is talking about in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. Uh, for example, perhaps you're saying, you know, I don't know about that, Tom. I, maybe that's going a little bit too far. Actually, it's not going far enough. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Paulos or Kephas or the word, I'm sorry, or the world or life or death. All things present or things to come. All things belong to you. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. In a true biblical sense, you inherit everything. Everything that is important and marvelous and great and that lasts truly forever, that's your inheritance when you trust Christ. And so the Spirit of God is sharing this with these Hebrews because they had lost, many of them had lost everything because they went to love their brother or sister that was in prison. Because of that, they were persecuted for their faith and lost everything. And yet, they had everything and even more that was yet to come. Now, how did they do this? How did Abraham do this? Well, it says, look at verse 10. Remember we said that true faith, true biblical faith, for any to be saved, for any type of Christian mission, it starts and it continues on by faith. But always, verse 10, with this gazing into heaven, the the motivation, the, the means to live this way is by this focus on heaven by this focus on a home built by God. You can see that right in verse 10. The word for is giving support, foundation for what was just said. Abraham was able to live this way because he was looking for the city which has foundations and whose architect and builder is God. Sometimes we read Genesis and perhaps we, we, we don't see that, but it's clearly stated here, helping us to understand that Abraham wasn't just concerned about the land of Israel. He was even more concerned about his home with God. That's what Abraham was primarily concerned with. For he was looking for this city, this this home. We say Superman lives in what city? Metropolis. The Greek word polis is here for city. Polis, politics. This is the idea of a city. Abraham is saying that his true home, his true destination, the true core identity of who he is is primarily not even the land of Israel, but God himself. And being with God, he says, the designer and the constructor of the city that he wants, who lays the very foundation, is God's city. And you'll see as we go through this passage, a better country, a better city. And already we saw in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, a better possession, a lasting one. What Abraham is saying, what the Spirit of God is saying to you and to me, if you're looking for a perfect peace and harmony in this world, you're going to be a very miserable person. 
There is no perfect peace and harmony in this world, and there won't be. Not till Christ comes back. That's not what we're here for. We're here to preach the gospel, live for God, and help others to find and follow Jesus. This passage, 8 through 10, especially verse 10, is saying, not everything is awesome. How does that? I can't sing it right. Not everything is awesome, but everything is awesome in heaven. Everything is awesome in heaven, but not everything is awesome here. We can't sing that truthfully about this life, right? Everything is not awesome here. Everything is awesome there. And he was staring at the best future, at the best place, with the best person, which is God. This is why you have so many passages like Colossians 4, which says, set your mind on the things which are above, where Christ is. And then it says, your life is hidden with Christ and God. There is this aiming of the mind on our true identity, on our true future, on our true inheritance that set Abraham free and will set you free to live by faith. That you're done by faith and it sustains your faith when you focus your mind on your true identity, on your true home and your true inheritance. If you look, again, if you look for perfection in this life, you're going to be miserable. But when you look for perfection in the Lord and in your future inheritance, when that is what you are expectantly waiting for is even the idea here. It's this very intense word, this looking. It's more this idea of gazing, this peering into, this really staring and focusing your eyes on Jesus, on God, on heaven. Believers, you are on a great, difficult journey with many dangerous foes. But Jesus has won, is winning, and will win. Use the shield of faith to fight your greatest enemy. Now, who is your greatest enemy? Your greatest enemy is you. Satan's been defeated. He's not your greatest enemy necessarily. Your greatest enemy is your remaining sin. Because your remaining sin lies to you all the time. About God, about heaven, about this life, about your inheritance, about today and about tomorrow. Rather than believing those lies, take the shield of faith and trust in God and Jesus and what he says about everything. Focus on your true destination, that it is truly glorious beyond your greatest imagination. The Lord is faithful. The Lord has never lied to you. He will be with you and he's for you. Press forward like Abraham by faith. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, though imperfect, this example of of Abraham. Lord, may we start by faith. May we continue by faith. May we trust you, Lord, that we could be a humble, loving, kind, sacrificial people that are always placing God first, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.